welcome to The Divorce Social with me, Samantha Baines, changing the conversation around divorce. This show is sponsored by Penguin in the Room. Penguin in the Room is an award-winning arts, marketing and social media management company. If you want to jazz up your socials and have someone Instagram and tweet for you, then here's your answer. Go to www.penguinintheroom.com. As always, hit subscribe to make sure you're updated about new episodes. And we love to hear from you on social media at DivorcePod and at Samantha Baines. You can also email us all the infos on our website, thedivorcesocial.com. When you're ready to pop the question, the last thing you want to do is second-guess the ring. At BlueNile.com, you can design a one-of-a-kind ring with the ease and convenience of shopping online. Choose your diamond and setting. When you find the one, you'll get it delivered right to your door. Go to BlueNile.com and use promo code LISTEN to get $50 off your purchase of $500 or more. That's code LISTEN at BlueNile.com for $50 off your purchase. BlueNile.com, code LISTEN. Ever catch yourself eating the same flavorless dinner three days in a row? Dreaming of something better? Well, HelloFresh is your guilt-free dream come true, baby. It's me, Kiki Palmer. Let's wake up those taste buds with hot, juicy pecan-crusted chicken or garlic-butter shrimp scampi. Mm. Hello Fresh. Stop dreaming of all the delicious possibilities and dig in at HelloFresh.com. Let's get this dinner party started. Welcome to the first episode of our brand new series. And we are really kicking things off this series with none other than Rose McGowan. Hello, we're going Hollywood. Uh, Rose McGowan is a former actress. She is an activist, a change maker. She's written a book called Brave. I've read it. It's brilliant. You should definitely check it out. It was an honor to have her on the podcast. She's been engaged five times and she's been married once for nearly two years. And that was all planned. So have a listen and she'll explain why she only planned to be married for two years and how she had a fairly good divorce as things go. We also talk about her role in Hollywood, the issues she's faced and love and what that means to her and whether she thinks she deserves it, which is something that I think we can all relate to. The way I came across Rose, I was going to say, but obviously I'd come across her before because she has been in many films and movies. She was in Charmed, which is a series about three sisters who are witches, which me and my sister were obsessed with and still are. I watched it recently again um, <laughs> during uh, during a period at home where I was like, I've got nothing to watch. I just re-watched all the series of Charmed. So um, I'd seen her on my screen and talking about the Me Too movement and all the activism and work that she's done calling out uh, people in power. And I'd also read her book, but it wasn't until she followed me on Twitter. Hello. 
Yeah, I'm big time. Really important people follow me on Twitter. Um, and I DM'd her just being like, hello, I love you. Totally fangirling. And told her about this new podcast idea that I'd had about maybe talking about my divorce, but I didn't know if anyone would be interested in it. This was a few years ago now. Um, and we had a little chat on Twitter, but nothing really came of it. And then recently I was in Soho in London in a private members club. Oh my God, check me out. I know my life isn't all like that. I'm currently in my pajamas recording this, but I was in a private members club and who were to walk in but Rose McGowan. And I thought, shall I go and say hello? We had that chat on social media one time. Will she even remember? I don't know. Um, and she did kind of look over a couple of times. So I decided to brave it, to go up to her and just say hi. And as I was walking over to her, she pointed at my face and said, I know you. How do I know you? And um, <laughs> I answered and we had a little chat and we got on really well. And we went on a night out in Soho. And she's just so honest and genuine. And it was great to chat to her. She has so many incredible stories of her life, things she's been through, even more than the things I read in her book. Um, and I was desperate for her to come on the podcast, but I didn't want her to feel forced into the scenario. Um, but eventually I plucked up the courage to ask her to come on. Luckily for me and for us, she said yes. So this interview with Rose McGowan is split into two parts because there's so much to it. Uh, the first part is here for you now. And uh, don't worry, you don't have to wait a week for the second part. Uh, the second part will be released tomorrow. I know we've never done this before on the podcast, but um, I do hope you enjoy it. I think it's a really emotional, meaningful chat. Um, and she was very honest and reveals a lot. And I think I reveal a little bit as well. So uh, uh, tweet me if you enjoyed this at DivorcePod, at Samantha Baines or Instagram or, or any of those things. And um, enjoy listening to Rose McGowan on The Divorce Social. I am joined by former actress, author of Brave, founder of the Cultural Reset, artist and social activist, Rose McGowan. Hello. Welcome to The Divorce Social. Well, hello, Miss Samantha Baines. <laughs> hello. That's probably like the sexiest hello of the podcast I've ever had. <laughs> <laughs> I, I think voice acting was the only acting I ever really liked. I liked using my voice for that. I like making it sound robotic or and occasionally sexy, but it's always when you're at your least sexy when your voice is the sexiest. Like when you have a nice cold. Like that Phoebe and Friends episode when she's got a really bad cold and she thinks she's the sexiest person ever. Um, people sometimes say my voice is sexy because it's quite low and gravelly. Yeah, low gravelly is good. But I've never smoked or anything. I don't know why it is this low. It's just the way I came out. Were you a strange child that licked a lot of rocks out front, a lot of gravel yards? No, I wouldn't. You're just lucky. I wouldn't put it past me. You didn't have to smoke to achieve, <laughs> so you don't have to have the lines on your face, my darling. Well, I was a social smoker. I was the worst sort of smoker. Oh, you were the one that pretended you weren't, who wouldn't eat the bullet of like, I am a smoker. I was like, this is gross, but everyone's doing it and I want to have friends. See, 
I was the opposite. I was a very late comer to smoking, very late. And I was the person that didn't care if they had friends and that would go with someone somewhere. They would all go outside to smoke um, and I, or the smoking section, if that was back in the day, and I would bring out my book, whatever book I was reading. I would be the nerd at the bar with the book. You were like... Matilda, when Matilda got a bit rebellious in her teenage years, Matilda movie, and then and then of course later on when I did start smoking, finally, I was like, ah, oh, this is the secret to making friends. Who knew? <laughs> what? Yeah, but you were cool. You were like, I don't need to make friends. I was like, I just want everyone to like me, so I'm going to inhale tar sticks. I was like, I'm pretty sure I'll hate everybody. Stay away. <laughs> I, I came to that resolution, but many years later. Um, or I'm pretty sure they'll hate me. I'll just keep it simple and read my book. Nice. I like that. Well, welcome to the Divorce Social. Well, thank you. How does that feel, me welcoming you to the Divorce Social? Hilarious, to be honest, because um, although I'm sure a lot of people have found your podcast uh, maybe because they too were divorced and went through quite a bit of pain or a lot of breakups to get there, as you know, I've participated in that too. But for me, divorce wasn't painful, but the word itself uh, is very funny. Um, even the word husband is is hilarious to me, like bizarre. Bizarre in context of me, it's a bizarre word. It seems very adult and formal. And at my age, I should feel like an adult by now, but it hasn't quite set in yet. That's interesting. We've never delved into the word husband. It's weird. Or I imagine for them, wife is weird. Well, I was going to say, is the word wife weird or is it just husband for you? I don't know. I never call myself wife, really. So I never, I never thought about it. I never said I'm his wife. I don't think. If I did, it, I'm sure I laughed afterwards, too. <laughs> so why, why is divorce funny for you? Yeah, and probably a lot of people want to punch me after this one. Um, <laughs> because I set up my marriage to be divorced. It was intentional. Um, and, you know, the backstory on that is a, a little like um, I was engaged five times, not by choice. Could call it an emotional mugging with a fancy ring. You know, it was almost always invariably when I felt like I think I need to end this relationship that the proposal would come. Wow. And it wasn't ending because I didn't have a proposal. I didn't want there to be a proposal. I had no intention or plans of getting married. And it had started very young, this engagement thing. And when you're in the public eye, each engagement becomes also public. So I was like, you know, had I been married as many times as I'd been engaged, for corn's sake, I would be, uh, I have a lot of old-fashioned American dead people saying, for corn's sake. I'm like, <laughs> who says that? Nobody. Um, maybe someone's grandmother. So by the fifth time I was engaged... And you add up all these rings and you add up ridiculous things like you have to buy a triple E safe, uh, extra thick, and you have to pay. I think I had to pay thousands and thousands of dollars for the safe to keep all this jewelry that I'd never wanted because I don't even wear jewelry at all, ever. And that was another thing, the ring. There's a lot of layers to it. But when I was finally like, fine, when this one asked me, I was like, what is behind door number three? What is the big deal? Uh, and we'd been together at four years at this point. And so I said, uh, okay, I'll marry you. But the reality is it'll probably be for like two years. And if you're okay to have a two-year marriage then I'm, and then a divorce and, and you're fine with that journey, I would like to take that journey with you. You'd be a good person to take that journey with. I don't know where I came up with two years, but it wound up being almost exactly to the day two years. And, um, and I didn't 
uh, do a, a n- neither a non-disclosure nor did I have him sign a prenup agreement, um, which I was being yelled at about. And I just had kind of one. I think I have like money shyness. Talking about money stuff is weird. That's just an awkward moment. And he was a very poor artist, but I just knew him. And I guess a lot of people do get married with that idea. I know the person. But maybe if they stay married for 20 years, that person changes. And because I was effective enough to get divorced in two years, he did not change. (laughs) (laughs) Well, that's very efficient of you. Thank you. I am a Virgo. (laughs) Very efficient. And and so we had a very incredibly amicable divorce. I had, um, I think I reached that mm, non-romantic point probably because I'd had a relationship where I had also been engaged. It was the kind of one where had I gotten divorced from him, it would have been uh, a saga, a nightmare of epic grand proportions. You know, I already had the body on the floor crying, you know, where I'd been crying for him. We could do the chalk outlines over it. But I, I decided after that to never be out of control in love again. Did you do that ever? Oh, wow. That's interesting. I think to never be out of control in love again. Yeah, I think I decided that after my divorce. But I've actually gone back. back on it. Good. Yeah. I was wondering if I would. Do you think you have? No. <laughs> not yet. I I am very much in love with someone, um, but it's not out of control. And it feels quite healthy, partially because the person's in Mexico and I'm sitting in London. <laughs> great. <laughs> Distance is great. Thanks for relationships. Not really. Um, but it, it is... It's tough, you know. I, I've always seen myself more of as an alone person. So, and, and the reason I set up, you know, marriage that way, and I think a lot of suffering in divorces comes from a lot of societal weight that comes in, in the window with that and a lot of societal programming. And that is something for me that I've fought against my entire life. And so when I came to the marriage part of uh, my so-called life, if you will, and my weird kind of way of looking at it, my non-shame-based way of looking at it, I was definitely able to to block out society's ideas on me because I'd already been hated by so many strangers for so long. It didn't really matter what, so you know, in the olden days, the milkman said or what this person said. Like, there was one person, a gossip columnist, got a hold of me and was like, do you want to get out in front of the news of your divorce so you don't look bad and you're not ashamed? Wow. I know. And I'm like, well, um, it's my life. It's my choice. And I don't look at things the same way maybe some others do. And I don't think I have to be married forever to have a successful marriage or a successful divorce. And I think you can also look at things as I can achieve a successful divorce if the person's not batshit crazy, Yeah, which is always the wild card. <laughs> because sometimes when you break up with them, they turn. Yeah, because you mentioned this earlier of you thought your husband would be a good person to marry and then divorce. Right. And someone's actually given me the advice since I got divorced, so maybe for the next divorce, that you shouldn't ever marry someone you're not willing to divorce. Yes, and also, or children. I mean, you have, I didn't do that, but, you know, when you talk to people, they're always like, oh, he's doing this and this and this, or she's doing this and this and this, you know, the ex or with the kids or blah, blah, blah. And I'm like, but were they doing that kind of stuff before? The answer, if they get down to it, is always yes. So people seem to act very surprised when when they break up with someone and they're crazy or vindictive or mean, but that was their pattern before. 
But sometimes you're so blinded by love. I just feel like by the time you break up, doesn't it get kind of beaten out of you? Not physically, hopefully, ever, um, but just emotionally. You know, doesn't the love die before you break up? I think a lot of times, yeah, although I've definitely spoken to people on this podcast who see themselves as still in love and then the divorce is a shock to them. Wow. So, right. you know, not only are they dealing with the breakup, they're trying to deal with loving someone, but that person wants to leave them. That's terrible. That sounds like a really unpleasant experience. I'm really happy I had my divorce. <laughs> <laughs> so that wasn't your no, situation? No. Um, my situation is that I was always hurtling towards one goal in my life of, of kind of chopping the head off power, so to speak, um, and doing a bunch of weird kind of things in life. Um, my goal was always to live a really big life, and I always kind of felt like I couldn't take people along on that journey, that it would be quite unfair to them. You know, and I think where I was unfair was always seeing a beginning, a middle, and an end and not maybe informing the person of that fact. It's interesting you say that you saw that as unfair, bringing someone on that journey. Do you think they thought saw it as that or they thought, oh, wow, I get to spend all this time with this incredible person? I don't know what they thought, but that's not my <laughs> issue. Um, I can't imagine anybody would want to have a seat at that party. It's not a party. It is not fun. It's a whole lot of not fun stuff um, with some fun. But when you are at, at different times kind of like an enemy of the state, so to speak, yeah, it's you're not bringing anybody, a child, anybody along for that ride is is vulnerable. Because at the beginning of the podcast, I did introduce you as the founder of the Cultural Reset. What does that right. mean? It says so in Urban Dictionary, you see. Oh. Because I trademarked and uh, created a term, Cultural Reset. Because for me, it was never Me Too. It was always, that was something that was kind of created post um, these articles that I'd set up breaking and, and kind of thundering the world with what became known as Me Too. Um, to me, my understanding is Me Too is a communications tool tool. Did this happen to you? Me too. And I wish more people would recognize it as such because I think there had never before been that tool. But instead, it was kind of weaponized by the media as like going after men and da, 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 this whole thing, of course. Oh, my God, men are losing their jobs. I'm like, yes, but think of how many men will get jobs. And also, Me Too, I guess, is more of a hashtag. It's a hashtag. It's then, not. It's not a. It's not a somebody out there on the front lines fighting, you know, or having twenty thousand AI bots purchased against them like Russia style to destroy their reputation or anything good online or shadow banning, suppression, um, assassination attempts, various things like that that I've gone through. You know, it's been real, uh, really intense. And living in Mexico has been partially was amazing. Twenty twenty, unlike most people, I had the best year of my life. 2021 brought the worst. That brought that brought the worst. But we're not talking about divorce now. Ask me more about relationships. <laughs> well, it's just because you said, you know, you didn't want to bring anyone through that. But also when you got divorced, you didn't feel that shame like that journalist suggested because you'd had people hating you, as you said, before that. Right. So how did how did getting divorced compare to everything that came before that for you with the cultural reset? Absolutely. It didn't compare at all. It was um, nice. It wasn't mean. It wasn't 
cruel. It wasn't vindictive. It wasn't um, power hurting you for power's sake. You know, it wasn't anything like that. And I think a lot of people have actually experienced those other qualities within a divorce. You know, uh, vindictiveness, ruthlessness, pettiness, uh, reputational destruction, things like that. I experienced that with maybe a divorce from the world. It's so interesting you say divorce from the world because I was about to say, well, you kind of got divorced from Hollywood, the media. I did. Like people in positions of power that are abusing it. I kind of blew it up and cut it down and then went to the furthest remote, really remote location in Mexico and just me and my dog and went to like the outer reaches of loneliness. And how do you think that affected or did it affect your relationship? Well, I broke up with my boyfriend, the one that I'm very much in love with to do so and caused him a lot of pain. I was also very sick, so I wasn't thinking entirely clearly at the time, to be fair. I didn't know I was sick then. My propensity of rescuing dogs, uh, I got kind of an infection from one of them that turned into a really serious life-threatening bacterial infection. And then a car accident that put me to sleep for a while. So I've been through some stuff in this last year, 2022, also not great. But turning the corner on that, um, and it's funny how you mark the time, right? But it very much was a divorce from social media. Right before getting sick, I wanted to experiment with going silent and what that would be like and what that would mean for both myself and, and, and if it mattered, would anybody even notice kind of thing? Would my silence have any volume to it? And I think it did. I was going to say, I think they did notice. They did. God bless them, you know. And um, there's there's a chapter I write in Brave, uh, the opening. It's about hair um, and cutting off hair and about breaking up with the world. I think once you break up with the world, in a way, the societal idea of what you're supposed to be, especially if you were you know, a young actress at one point who's had it massaged into from on high. So all the things that kind of water down to general women in society, like that's like we get the direct hotline. Like someone's actually telling you what you're inferring from all the media and all the stuff you get. You infer these things. But what if someone actually is telling you the actual message? And, um, and they do in many ways. And it's a lot of women doing it. A lot of women doing it. So by that, do you mean when you're acting they're saying we want you to do this or even like no, in media even. interviews they're like no like your agent telling you not to talk too much in meetings because you're intimidating the men wow that's just on the way home from a meeting you know that's just tuesday it's just so stupid painfully stupid yeah and the thing is is that again you know if all that stupid stuff stayed in one place that's fine you stupids can have a stupid party <laughs> Enjoy your stupid party with your stupid selves. But it doesn't. It goes out to the world and it gives everyone the mirror to look into. And that's where I, I you know, my book is a lot about that. Like the mirror you were given to look into as a little girl or, you know, a little boy or like, you know, someone with a different skin color and, and the various people that are actually making this media for you to kind of spend so much of your life, so much of your own time having to figure out what is you and what is that. What is what was what has been implanted in you and what's organic to you. And I think it's a lot of, like, life um, time thieves, you know. They, they stole a lot of my time, too. So I wrote a book to save people uh, some time. Hold up. What was that? 
Boring. No flavor. That was as bad as those leftovers you ate all week. Kiki Palmer here. And it's time to say hello to something fresh and guilt-free. Hello, fresh. Jazz up dinner with pecan-crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Now that's music to my mouth. Hello, fresh. Let's get this dinner party started. Discover all the delicious possibilities at HelloFresh.com. Jewelry isn't a gift you give just once. It's a way to remind your loved one of a beautiful moment every time they see it. Blue Nile can help you find the gift that says how you feel and says it beautifully with expert guidance and a wide assortment of jewelry of the highest quality at the best price. Go to BlueNile.com and experience the convenience of shopping Blue Nile, the original online jeweler since 1999. That's BlueNile.com to find the perfect jewelry gift for any occasion. BlueNile.com Hey Dave. Yeah Randy. Since we founded Bombas, we've always said our socks, underwear and t-shirts are super soft. Any new ideas? Maybe sublimely soft. Or disgustingly cozy. Wait, what? I got it. Bombas. Absurdly comfortable essentials for yourself. And for those facing homelessness. Because one purchased equals one donated. Wow, did we just write an ad? Yes. Bombas. Big comfort for everyone. Go to bombas.com slash ACAST and use code ACAST for 20% off your first purchase. Ding dong. It's the ad break. This podcast is sponsored by Penguin in the Room, an award-winning company that can manage your business's social media. They even manage our podcast, Instagram and Twitter. Just email info at penguinintheroom.com for a quote. Also, if you'd like to support the podcast, you can by buying merchandise from our website, www.thedivorcesocial.com. Ding dong. It's interesting in the book because you mentioned that, uh, you know, the chapter about you cutting your hair and you seem to have done it in this really powerful kind of rejuvenating way. But I remember when I got divorced and and I, I remember standing on a tube platform and seeing like, you know, all these people go past through the window of a tube and seeing the reflection of myself and all of a sudden just wanting to like changed my image because I was now this like free person and I had been this wife and to me that was like you know stay at home and be a wife and be all these things that in my head and my own prejudice and and stigma and societal but also just my imagination from watching films and of what a wife should be and now I could be anything and I remember thinking I'm going to buy loads of leather clothes <laughs> and cut my hair <laughs> That'll um, do it. And and I remember reading your book and thinking it was a bit not very much like, but a little bit like me on the tube m- platform. Yeah, you had that moment. And then there's also that, you know, that moment where you're just like I even I though, I remember now you just said that coming back to me at a point when I was married, having a oh, I should go to Malmo, Sweden and be there for two weeks with him and be a good wife. What? It's just such a creepy sentence. Yeah. And I was so bored. So instead, I wound up taking the train. I was a bad wife. I wound up taking the train to Denmark every day, this place called Christiana, and smoking pot and eating tomato soup and hiding. Yeah. That sounds lovely. It was lovely, actually. So that's funny. What We both have this idea of we have to be a good wife. I tried it for two weeks. It didn't work. <laughs> I failed after one day. I, I tried it for a little bit longer. be why I'm not currently married or a good wife. So there's all of that societal stuff. And then, you know, at least you have a podcast to unpack it. And most 
probably don't. So they just eat the shame. And I just want to tell people, you know, that shame, whatever shame you have from not being the societal ideal, you can put it in a box and you can lay it on the doorstep of someone else. You know, it's not yours. That That's society's. They can take it back. And you have to look at your life really like a fabric. Like, okay, um, what is cotton? What is organic to me? What is in the fabric of me? And what is nylon and artificial and plastic? What has been implanted? All those, I have to be this. Anything that starts with, I should, I have. You know, that's usually kind of the societal programming coming in. And you have to do a lot of work to separate those. Yeah, I like that cotton and nylon. It's like returning a nylon dress that you bought from some internet provider. You're like, no, no, it's not for me. Take it back. It's not organic. <laughs> it's not It's not for me. But where did we get this idea of being a good wife? Like, Because we can say society and the media. But where do you think it actually comes from? Is it from being a little girl and watching a program? Yes. where someone is a good wife. Yes, I think so. I think it's that simple. Because if you didn't probably see it totally reflected around you, where else would you get that idea from? Yeah. You know, if if life at home looks very different from life in the movies, and yet you still have this kind of fantasy programming to an extent, then where does that come from? It goes deeper than people think. They can dismiss it, but it doesn't dismiss them. And and being both actresses, obviously one of us slightly more successful than the other, just slightly rose. Wise. Yeah. Having that acting training and doing some acting roles in the past, did there ever become a point for you in acting where you were like, oh, wow, I'm influencing those little girls sitting at home? Oh, I write about that in my book, yes. I yeah. write about that in Brave, where I say, you know, I had a part in that. I mean, to 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 be fair, I think most, you know, you can only do what you can do, which is your part. I'm not in control of directing the movie. I'm not in control overall of the message of the movie or how it may change by the time it gets out because you can very much start doing one project and by the time it comes out, you're in a totally different project, not one that you would have agreed to do, but it just changes so much, you know? Um, and I think the, yeah, I, I definitely have uh, culpability. But do you think you felt it then or do you feel it to now? An extent, I, I did then. I did then. But also I always kind of made sure, that's why even in my second movie, Scream, right, I, I, in that movie, I made sure that the character was definitely written to be kind of a forgettable girl that dies, the best friend of the lead girl, and she dies in an unfortunate garage door accident, right? Or not accident, An murder. unfortunate garage door accident. I should say incident. Such a great description. An unfortunate garage door incident. <laughs> How else does one describe that death? So good, yeah. But for me, I was like, I knew they wanted her to be disposable. And I knew, and I had not really watched a lot of horror films to prepare for it and still have never really after. But I knew that that's a trope in horror films was the disposable girls. So I just thought, I'm not going to be disposable. She's going to be your friend. And when she's off the screen, your movie's going to be a little less entertaining. And you're going to be sad. And you're going to miss her as a human. So my job, I felt, was always trying to make my characters as missable as possible when they weren't on the screen. And that, and it would achieve actually eliciting a human emotion out of an audience that is just expecting to see T and A and death. And so by, by tricking them in a way and making them feel something, that's what you're not supposed to do in horror movies. You're not supposed to really feel sad. You're not supposed to feel, but that's how you connect and honor basically a real life person that died. Just feel them 
you know? So it was kind of like, I tried to pick projects that were kind of timeless as much as possible. You really can't tell when you're doing it, what is going to be, what isn't, but you do, I did the best I can with that intention. And also very much within what was available to me, which was, you know, became harder after being assaulted, certainly, um, because you're already famous, but you're then also uh, on, you know, the do not hire list. So what do you do? It's a real trick, right? And so I don't, it's hard to say. Um, I imagine you had love for acting. Yeah. I didn't. Yeah, I mean, I, I still I still have love for it. I have love for actors and, and not, like, people that love it. I'm fascinated by that, and I have great respect. So when you said acting training, I was like, no, nope, not me. <laughs> no, just acting. <laughs> My training was acting. Um, I trained. They taught me how to stand up straight, and then I left drama school. I taught myself. I, I read a book when I was little, and... Uh, you know, with all the strings pulling you in every direction kind of thing and took it very seriously. And um, But there's a lot of things. You do have to learn how to dance with the camera. And there's a lot of discipline. It's kind of like an Olympian in a way, um, the weird little physical discipline traits that you have to do to, to, to be at a certain level and sustain it is extremely difficult in that field. So it's like an Olympian that kind of goes on. Right. It's not just one Olympics if you can make it sustain. But where I do love the British, um, I love the amount of training. <laughs> we, we love to train. You love to train. We like to talk. It seems like it's going fairly well for people <laughs> over here. At least people in the States believe if they have an, uh, an accent to us must mean that they're better actors, surely. Well, yeah, there is this. A lot of people from the States are always like, oh, the English actor's training is a, is a real important thing. And, and it's, well, it does seems seem to be well a bit respected. more important to them. And I do wonder if the, the riffraff of all the people that just flood into Los Angeles and Hollywood every year just to get famous, I wonder as actors, but because that was the only thing they could think of to become famous as, not so much for love of acting, I wonder if, you know, the rise of the influencer has cut down on that or if they're still also going to auditions just in case hedging their bets. Yeah, if they had to go through like three years or I did three years at uni in drama and then I did one year at drama school, I reckon if they had to go through four years, would they still want to be if actors an, if, at the if, end? If an Instagram influencer, if a TikTok influencer had to go to three to four years of school before becoming a TikTok influencer, would they Would they still be an influencer? Would they? Would they be doing better than me? Probably. But I do know people that say that they put on their highest British accent when going through customs. Um, when they travel to the U.S. and they get shown the red carpet. What? It's just it's just like, you know, yeah, we might have gotten rid of your monarchy, but uh, <laughs> apparently the, the ideal still still exists, uh, the superiority thing, yes. Well, I made a joke when I went through customs once in America, and that did not go down well. They're not well. the funniest people. No. <laughs> they were like, this is very serious. This is very serious, ma'am. We're letting people into the They probably United yelled States. that at you. Yeah. They're very loud. I don't know what the volume problem is there. I really don't. I haven't lived there in a long time. I I, I didn't grow up there. I was sent there in my defense. But it definitely is a, a very strange place. Yeah, it's and it must have been an interesting, well, maybe interesting isn't the right word. But obviously we have the media in the UK and there's 
been a lot of fight back, especially recently from celebrities of how invasive our media can be. And we all know the story with Princess Diana and the crown is out now. And so, you know, that's all playing out in the series on Netflix. I was in series one, but I was a Cockney lady. So, you know, I had no affiliation to the royal family. But in, in the current series, it's all playing out. And there is a lot of talk in the UK about the media and how invasive they can be. But in the US... Do you think, from from an outside perspective, having lived in the UK my whole life, the US seems to, it seems to be they pick someone and then the persecution goes off the charts and yeah, it doesn't end for a long time. Yeah, yeah, that would be me. I was the picked persecution one. But, you know, um, in my case, it was a little bit more extreme that somebody had paid off top journalists all over the world for the last 20-something years to go after me like had literally bought contracts from them and said, I'll turn this into an Oscar-winning movie if you go after this person, if they ever any picture of them appears, if they ever have a movie that comes out, if they're doing anything good, destroy them. And that was coming in from wings and all over. I could never understand. I would be like, did I kill a journalist in my past life? What did I do? I could not understand it until that truth was exposed in uh, Ronan Farrow, the journalist's book that he got a Pulitzer for. Yeah, so my, I guess, the British perspective on... Uh, media, is it too invasive? I guess I've had the most, I've had just another, I've gone to the dark side of the moon with all of this. You know, it's, I can't talk about it like in a normal, even in an abnormal, normal way because it was so abnormal, so beyond the pale of what a, a normal person could stand, I think. Most people can't stand a bad Instagram comment about themselves. Yeah, I have one review of a comedy show that I did and I can still remember this one sentence and I'm like... <laughs> the worm sent, the parasite sentence, the parasites its way into your head. Yeah, superficial hour. That's what they called it, my stand-up. Superficial <laughs> and fuck you. Um, but, there, I said that on your behalf. Thank you. You're welcome. Um, but how did that affect your relationship so going back to starting at the beginning that first engagement in the right. media what you know you're not just going through yeah, my it first personally. engagement was with marilyn manson so yeah it was a little <laughs> no you're going through it as a, a product as a couple as an individual i guess although that becomes so far down the line of what you do so much of it's so out of control you know and that period was a really weird period it was so long ago oh my god you know um and the person i was with was very became quite different towards the end of our relationship and that's why i broke up with them i'm sure they were relieved too i'm sure it was not one-sided at that point um i don't know if you've had the experience of going out with someone and then through whatever they're doing they become it's like the body's lying next to you, but they're a total stranger and you have no idea who that person is or what they like to do or don't like to do because it's creepy and dark and you don't know who they are. You just know that that's not the person that was laying there six months ago. And But the body's still there, so what do you do? And now you're engaged and now you're kind of trapped in this media. The first time, you know, when you – and you're, I was very young, you know. I had no business getting married then, I don't think. Personally, young people should get married, but that's me. How how young were you then? I was probably like 24. Yeah. 25. And you said earlier 
you know, when you were going into, a lot of the times you got engaged when it was sort of the tail end of the relationship. It's like they knew. They knew. And that, so this will trap her. <laughs> I, don't, I can't imagine any of them hopefully were that specifically thought about it that way. But it felt like that. So what made you say yes? Do you have, uh, let me ask you, Samantha, how many images have you seen in the world of women gracefully getting out of a, propo- a proposal? Yeah. Because no. I can tell you, I had reverse montages in my brain in the moment when the person's on their knee, my brain going backwards really fast, searching for any image of way out of this. And I could never, I couldn't fasten on any. And so I would just say, yes. Kind of like that. Yes. <laughs> like eyes wide. <laughs> okay, let's just do it. I don't know how to, and, and five times, and you would think, I just, you know, a, a lot of people would think I have like, you know, all the, the chutzpah and the, and, but in the face of someone's emotions, I am a tower of jello for fact, because it's happened five times. So there's evidence. I can't, I can't dispute it. So you just feel like you can't say no to them because it would upset them. And how would you say, no? like, how does that go? The whole go? situation is so bizarre. Yeah. I, I can mean, totally see how that. How many times can I tell each person I'm with I don't wear jewelry and they still don't listen? Yeah. If it just goes to that, you know. So they all proposed with a ring, mm-hmm. even though you don't wear jewelry. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's interesting, isn't it? Mm-hmm. Well, and it became a lot more about, not with the poor artist, the last one, my successful marriage and divorce. (laughs) (laughs) It became a lot more about uh, the jewelry, became a lot more about them and a lot more about people complimenting them. And I felt, honestly, I really did not. And that's when I kind of broke down that I think marriage starts with this corporation in between you two and you don't even know it. Like... Basically, the guy knows he's being judged off of by some ridiculous societal ideals for how much money he can afford on your ring. So he probably, in my estimation, low-key resents the woman that he's giving the ring to because that's somehow the cause of this, even though he's in love with her, right? It's a huge chunk of his earnings that he has it's to give absurd. over. It's yeah, It's an absurd judgment scale, and, and it's really unfair to men and, or whoever's you know doing that. Um, the proposing, I guess, uh, but traditionally men. And the acceptee, she, you know, all you see in the media is women going around showing their ring to all their gaggle of like, eh, clucking hen girlfriends, which is like such a turn off as a visual. <laughs> um, that whole aesthetic is not mine. But I feel like it starts it with this corporate lie which is like, you know, whether it's blood diamonds or, you know, the corporate idea of forever, you have a corporation in between you two. And then you also have this thing of like lease with option to buy, which is essentially what an engagement is. But the woman is the one that has to wear the ring and not the man. So it's a bit like peeing on a tree and marking your territory and no one else can come near it. And here's the band that's showing you this is mine, but I don't have to. I am free of that. But there does start this weird resentment, I think, this this corporate resentment that is displaced onto the people themselves without the people themselves knowing that your relationship has started with this weird um, finance resentment that, like, unless you go super hippie and go the other direction, which most people traditionally don't, it sets you up in this this whole cycle. 
of playing the societal role. And it and the thing I know about societal roles is that they trap people and they chafe. They chafe on either side. They'll chafe the man, they'll chafe the woman. And I think and then now go walk down the aisle and get married. Yeah. I think it starts in a way that's that's profoundly fucked up. And it starts by letting a corporation in on that. It's funny you say that because I remember my ex-husband saying at one point, oh, the way you work out how much you spend on an engagement ring is like you take half your yearly salary or something. That's insane. And me being like, oh my gosh, am I going to get like that expensive a ring? What if I damage and then, it? And then if you and don't, like, then your worth is my worth not that expensive. Do you see what I mean? So, so when this he, is not no longer about him or you. But now it is because every woman who's ever wanted such a thing or every man who's ever felt like he's like stuck in this thing, in this this kind of paradigm, they're bringing kind of collective resentment to each other's individual table. But now talk about love. Because my ex said that, and then he got me a ring, and it was a, and I knew that it was a lot less than that. And then I started thinking, well, he said... That it was going to be this much. Right, so you start with and it's only and yeah. insecurities that are just about, literally, people moving merchandise. Yeah. It's a wild start to... Right, and I thing. don't think people spend enough time thinking about that part. I don't, I don't know if anybody's spent a whole awful lot. Of, I'm sure somebody's written books about it. I haven't read them. But I think more time needs to be devoted to that period of, of the relationship. And we're rooting that out because I don't think it has to be that way and I don't think it should be that way. And I don't think it starts people off in a very good fashion. If you have this kind of inherent stress and resentment that now let's say he did spend all that money on you. But every time you looked at your ring and then you heard him be stressed about his finances, you would have a guilty feeling. Mm. Now, how much is coming down onto that piece of jewelry? Yeah. Imagine if you like lost it down the sink. Now go have sex and be sexy with each other, <laughs> right? There's a lot of weight behind that ring, yeah. a lot more than people think. I hope you've enjoyed my chat with Rose McGowan so far. There was so much that we split it into two episodes. Don't worry, you don't have to wait a week for the next half. It will be released tomorrow. So make sure you hit subscribe to be notified. Hey, it's Danny Pellegrino from Everything Iconic. Ready to upgrade your style game without blowing your budget? Check out Quince. They've got all the good stuff, shirts and polos, activewear and fine leather goods, all at 50 to 80% less than other high-end brands. And the best part? They're all about safe, ethical and responsible manufacturing. Get that luxury vibe without the luxury price tag. Hit up quince.com slash upgrade for free shipping and 365-day returns on your next order. That's quince.com slash upgrade. Ever catch yourself eating the same flavorless dinner three days in a row? Dreaming of something better? Well, HelloFresh is your guilt-free dream come true, baby. It's me, Kiki Palmer. Let's wake up those taste buds with hot, juicy pecan-crusted chicken or garlic-butter shrimp scampi. Mm. Hello Fresh. Stop dreaming of all the delicious possibilities and dig in at HelloFresh.com. Let's get this dinner party started. 
Imagine the softest sheets you've ever felt. Now imagine them getting even softer over time. That's what you'll feel with Bowling Branch's organic cotton sheets. In a recent customer survey, 96% replied that Bowling Branch sheets get softer with every wash. Start getting your best night's sleep in these sheets that get softer and softer for years to come. Try their sheets with a 30-night guarantee. Plus, get 15% off your first order at BowlingBranch.com. Code BUTTERY. Exclusions apply. See site for details. Oh, hi. Thank you for listening to The Divorce Social with me, Samantha Baines. Please leave us a review. Please, please. Um, It would be super nice. They're lovely to read. They keep me cheery and happy and keep me going. Uh, But also it affects our listing in the podcast charts, uh, which are very important because that's how more people find the podcast. And I'd love to help more people get through those really tough heartbreak and divorce times. And they're more likely to find us if we're higher up on the charts. So if you'd like to leave a review, I'd love you forever. You can leave them on iTunes is the big one or most podcast platforms do them as well. I'll take all the reviews you've got to give. You can also uh, get in contact on Twitter and Instagram at DivorcePod and at Samantha Baines. We have a website, thedivorcesocial.com and we have a Patreon account, which means that you can support the podcast for as little as £2 a month and it helps me with all the admin costs. It also means you have access to our 90 style divorce and heartbreak chat room and there's lots of exclusives on there, little bits of audio that you don't get in the main podcast and some giveaways as well. So I'd love to see you over on Patreon. That's patreon.com forward slash Samantha Baines and please leave a review. Did I say that already? Please leave a review. Love you forever.